Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Winner of the first ever Library of Congress Levine Ken Burns Prize for Film, Flannery is a lyrical and intimate exploration of the life and work of author Flannery O'Connor, whose distinctive style influenced a generation of artists. A devout Catholic who collected peacocks and walked with crutches due to a diagnosis of lupus that would take her life before the age of 40, O'Connor's provocative, award-winning fiction about Southern prophets, Girls with Wooden Legs and Intersex Freaks was unlike anything published before or since. Over the course of her short-lived life, a prolific writing career, two novels, 32 short stories, and numerous essays and lectures, O'Connor never shied away from examining timely things of racism, religion, socioeconomic disparity, and more with characteristic wit and irony. And that is the uh, sort of the backstory of Flannery O'Connor. We're joined today by the co-directors of this wonderful documentary film about Mary Flannery O'Connor. And that would be Elizabeth Kaufman and Mark Bosco. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much, Mike. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, The film, again, as I mentioned to you before we came on the air, um, reminded me so much of the work that I read of her uh, during my my days in college and and how different the writing was, how different it was. It was, of course, on women in literature, and her voice was distinctive. And um, I just want to sort of frame our conversation about her, what, what a unique talent she was. Um, but I'll ask, start with you, Elizabeth. What was it about her life, and how did you come to this particular project uh, that that turned into the documentary film that we're we're talking about today? Well, I started life as an English major, and like you, reading Flannery O'Connor in college, uh, and then I went to film school to get a PhD, so I didn't get an MFA, but I fell in love with cinema and studied film history. Uh, was writing about film, and then I started making documentaries. Uh, Years later, working at Loyola in Chicago with Mark Bosco, a Flannery O'Connor scholar. And Mark, I'll let you pick it up from here. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I I obviously have been working on Flannery O'Connor and just really, uh, just always intrigued with uh, the reactions people have of her. I was always intrigued with the fact that she was a devout Catholic, but very much formed as a modernist, writer i'm in the kind of the, the, the those for, formal structures of literature and at the same time had this aesthetic of violence that carries through all of her work and so putting that together and there's something there's something about an encounter with her stories that was as you say it's very unique very different so when uh when i was doing some work on Flannery o'connor a friend of mine named christopher o'hare who is now one of our executive producers he told me that he, he gave me a, a some uh, videos that he had done of interviews of people who knew Flannery O'Connor. People like Sally Fitzgerald, uh, who was her dear friend who edited her letters in The Habit of Being, uh, her mystery and manners, her her essays. Um, Other people like Robert Giroux, uh, her publisher, um, her cousins, the Florencourt uh, sisters. Um, He went around and interviewed them in 98, 99. 
And then he sat on him. And so in about 2008, I think it was 2006, maybe it was probably 2006. He gave, he gave me these films and said, Hey, listen, I'm not going to do anything with them. I, I was thinking about it, but I, I'm on to something else. They're yours. Um, what do you want to do with them? And so we looked at them and, and I kind of sat on them for a little while. And then uh, I asked Elizabeth to look at them too. I said, there's a, there's a documentary in here. No one said, no one's done a documentary on her. She's such a complex character herself. Uh, that do, I think we have enough here and we can do more interviews to do justice for this. And so that's really kind of how it all began. Um, first of all, when, when I found out that Elizabeth loved Flannery O'Connor, I thought, okay, you have to love Flannery O'Connor to work on this documentary. And all the people that are in our film really have this great affection or kind of a connection to, to O'Connor. Yeah, and I'm just going to put forward this idea that her writing is so distinctive and it's so, and it, it's dark, I cer certainly elements of that, the, the, the religious aspect or devotion to uh, the church is obvious and apparent in, in her writing. It puts you in, in, a, in a place that uh, you, ha you, ha you have to be with her or against her almost. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Her writing and her stories will push away the people who, who who aren't as interested in, in the subject matter that she is, is diving into. Is that fair? Is that, is that a... Well, I, th I think that's one perspective, and I certainly hope that people, when they watch the film, that they, they'll think many different ways about her writing. I, I for one, because I went into film, uh, I find her writing very cinematic and visual. And as a documentarian, we have Hilton Alls in the film talking about the reporting nature, uh, also Richard Rodriguez, how, how she was listening to the, the voices and the, that's the prejudiced voices uh, that were talking uh, in Georgia at the time. So I really responded, uh, as the filmmaker, I responded to her work uh, differently now than I did uh, when I was in college. So I really found her perspective pretty, uh, pretty easy and challenging, um, but engaging to put on film. You know, Mike, if I may, we, uh, Elizabeth and I were asked to speak at the National uh, Press Building, I guess, conference in uh, DC uh, about women writers. We, we kind of said, you, someone did raise their hand and say, it seems like you either love her or hate her. I, I think hate's too strong a word. I think she, you've got to love the fact that she's just a talent, right? I mean, you have to appreciate that. And I think, I think it's because she, she doesn't wrap things up nicely for us. Her stories really invite us into something, uh, an encounter with something, something she would call mystery, so that you, you, feel, you feel your uncomfortableness about being a human being and the encounters of people and the, and the clash of, of class, the clash of race, the, class, the clash of sex. Um, and so I think that's in some ways, like you said, if you're not ready to handle that mysterious kind of uncomfortable space, and maybe, maybe, you know, you kind of walk away from her. But boy, she really allows you to kind of adequately be in, 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 in humanity, to have a human experience. Right. Well, someone in the film, and you'll, you'll, when I say the quote, you'll be able to tell me, I've forgotten who it was. Says she's one of the, historically one of the five or six writers who is the least afraid to go to the darkness. Mary oh, Gordon, yeah, yeah, another great Catholic author of uh, New York. Uh, absolutely, she shines a light on our, what I think she would call our our sinful nature. Not not saying that that's she's she's kind of judging it. She's just saying, listen, we are all kind of broken creatures, uh, and she she kind of deconstructs 
a lot of the kind of uh, manners or the uh, the surface of of what looks perfect, what looks good, what looks pure, and she sh exposes it really, uh, deconstructs it to show what we are. Yeah, well, um, Elizabeth, I want to let's describe you know, what who Mary Flannery O'Connor, her background. We've alluded to it a little bit here, but tell, tell us, get us sort of the, her backstory. Where did she come from, and a little bit about her family life, if, if that would be appropriate. Certainly. Well, her, she was born in Savannah, Georgia, about an hour north from where I was born, and uh, lived briefly in Atlanta and spent a lot of her life in Milledgeville. Uh, went to the University of Iowa, started Georgia College in Milledgeville with her undergraduate, then went to the University of Iowa for her MFA in writing, went to Yaddo and lived in New York briefly, got sick and came back to Milledgeville for the remainder of her life, uh, died before she was 40. So a very, very short life, but she spent a majority of it in, in Georgia. Right. And, uh, but her family, uh, her Catholic family, Irish heritage, uh, Catholics were, it's difficult maybe for us to remember, but at the time when JFK was elected finally, uh, his Catholic background was a was a big issue. There was prejudice against Catholics, and we include archival footage that shows that there was prejudice uh, first against Blacks, then also Jews, and also Catholics. Uh, and people said those three names because they considered Catholics a part of an immigrant population that was not to be trusted. Uh, so she understood outsider, being an outsider. She understood prejudice. Um, she understood difference from being uh, a disabled person uh, who walked on crutches at a time where there weren't many elevators and there weren't laws to pr make sure that people with disabilities were accommodated. So she, her outsider nature for me was a big point of where I engaged with her. She, she had uh, an uneasy relationship to the place where she grew up. And you see that in her fiction. Yeah, and you see it in her right exactly. Um, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with uh, the co-directors of this wonderful film about Flannery O'Connor. It's called Flannery. We're speaking with Elizabeth Kaufman and Mark Bosco, and uh, her family, her relationship to her her father and to her mom are, are obviously. But it seems like in, in the telling the story in in Flannery, her father had a tremendous impact on her as an artist and on her outlook on life. Um, I think so, Mike. Uh, uh, her father was, uh, I think, a kind of a, a frustrated artist of, of sorts, right? Really appreciated the imagination of, of little Flannery uh, and really um, uh, and, uh, 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 had a good time with helping her nourish her imagination. So all of Flannery, Flannery's cartoons and her little cards, she almost did a card a day and she would give them to her father. Um, you know, this was really kind of um, affirmed and, 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 you know, by, by her dad. So her dad was really an important kind of liked her as she was, um, you know, her mom, Regina, uh, uh, was a, was a Southern belle. I mean, she kind of went, uh, went through the whole ranks of what it meant to be this kind of mannered uh, young woman. Uh, and she, I think she wanted that for her daughter. And I think part of the, the creative tension uh, that's both humorous and also kind of difficult, but also kind of uh, was kind of a, a, a motor for some of her writing uh, is that um, 
Flannery O'Connor was not that kind of person. She, so her, her relationship with her mom was, was fraught with uh, expe you know, lost expectations. Um, but at the same time, O'Connor also knew that her mother was the one who has to take care of her. So there was a lot of, a lot of stuff. So I think the family thing's really important. She came from a big family. And so she was, a, she was around lots of women growing up. Um, she, um, she was around a lot of sickness and death uh, in, in, in her family uh, because it was such an extended family. So her mom and her dad, I think, are like two, um, two poles to, that really kind of help nourish who she is. Right. Well, they, she ended up living in a home with, I think you said in the film, 15 to 16 yes. relatives, extended family. And in the course of her time there, she saw birth and death and illnesses and, and all kinds of life experiences sort of in this very compressed atmosphere. Yeah. And also, I'd imagine those many people in, in living in such a relatively small um, space, conflict and understanding interpersonal dynamics and all of these things seem to have really fed into her, uh, or she really seemed to learn a lot from that experience. Is, uh, Elizabeth, is that, is that something um, that sounds right? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think she, she was no Southern debutante, right? She couldn't stand Gone with the Wind uh, when she saw it when she was 14. And she wrote a story parodying the premiere of Gone with the Wind in Atlanta. So she really, you know, she knew she was not, she didn't date very much. She dated a little bit. She knew she was having the life of a writer and an artist, and that's where her talent was. She knew she wasn't a, you know, knockout in some ways. She put all those emotions into her writing, and she, she stood apart in her world uh, from other per persons and, and, and watched what was going on. You know, I was delighted when we won the best documentary at the Austin Film Festival because, you know, that's a, that's a festival that's a, for writers and screenwriters. And, and we really spent a lot of time trying to integrate Flannery's life story with her fiction right. and see how she drew from her own experiences and put them in her fiction. Thank you for bringing that up because in the course of the film, Flannery, her, her writings, her, her books, her short stories, become kind of the title cards to different chapters that we see in the film of her life. Uh, what really surprised me, I did not know, was what an accomplished cartoonist uh, she, she is or was. And I, they were wonderful. She thought that was going to be her world, right? She thought, I'm going to be a cartoonist. I'm going to be like in the New Yorker magazine. So she, I think that was her first inspiration, you know, that this, and then, and then it moved into that, that kind of funny satirical uh, cartooning then becomes these short story parables of, of life uh, among her characters. It's great. Yeah, I, I was, that really surprised me. And, and they were wonderful. And she continued throughout her, I believe throughout her entire life to, to draw to, as a cartoonist is, and, and it's wonderful and very observational. You mentioned the New Yorker. It has that, that vibe to it. There's a lot to be kind of read into when you see a cartoon like that, there's a whole lot of things that you have to sort of bring into it on your own. And uh, I thought it was wonderful stuff. Well, we had these three wonderful female animators, all of whom had looked at her childhood cartoon work. And, and so that was very deliberate on our part was to try to integrate uh, the animations that told that both represented Flannery as well as her fiction 
and to connect it to her own style as a cartoonist, both in terms of sense of humor and, um, and visual. Right, it's, it's, it's a wonderful part of the film. And I, you, you can't talk about writers of the 20th century without talking about, in some way, women's writing, writing becoming more, you know, their place in the history of, of, of literature. Uh, she certainly experienced uh, a, a, a degree of uh, difficulty and prejudice, if you will, in writing because uh, she ended up at Yaddo, where she was one of the very few women writing. And Yaddo, ex explain, if you will, what Yaddo is. It's, a, it's like a writer's uh, retreat. You want a, a six-month or a year kind of a, a stay there uh, so that you can kind of finish a project. And she wanted for finishing her book, Wise Blood. She was working on that. Um, and it's still going on today, but a lot of great writers and, and, and critics have over the years. Uh, Truman Capote was there. A lot of Southern writers, actually, while well, she was there. So she was part of that wave of Southern writers. But yeah, you would spend six months to a year. You'd go work on your own little space. And then you'd kind of have drinks and dinner with everybody, talk about art, talk about philosophy. And Fanny O'Connor, she knew she was even there. She was a little odd, the odd person out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because she was not a big drinker. She would go off to, uh, with, the, with, the, with the Irish help, she called them, uh, to mass every morning uh, while everyone else was still sleeping. But at the same time, she made, her, she made some great and dear friends uh, at Yaddo, other writers. And that's where a lot of writers said, oh, she's got something. So some of her friendships that were, were from that moment really kind of uh, continued on throughout her life. Right. Uh, well, and there's another part of her education as a writer, and I skipped over, the University of Iowa, going yeah. there, and how important that was. And that's where I was thinking about the, uh, you know, the predominance of male men writers and, at that university and how she had to sort of find her way. And there's a, there's a quote, and I hope I get this right. Uh, I think she said it, which is, you have to leave your home in order to find yourself. Yeah, that's, that's Hilton Alls. Yeah. Hilton Alls said that great quote, the great yeah. writer, right, Hilton? Yeah. Uh, He's a wonderful uh, commentator in the film, by the way. I, I loved his, what he, was, he brought to it. But yeah. Yes, go ahead, please. Well, his book, White Girls, is specifically about Flannery O'Connor and, and well worth uh, a, a read, not just Flannery O'Connor, but um, he had some great insights into her and to the questions of race and her race and, and difference and sexism and racism and how these things get tied up uh, together in different ways. Yeah, so. well, in that part of the story, there's a, there's a part of her life where she is, uh, she's writing things that looked through today's lens, doesn't look the way it did when she wrote it. And so she got, she's been, she's been there's been some pushback on her because of a perception of her as a writer of her views on race. But what he brought, what he said, which I thought was just so important and I think relevant, and that is she was a reporter first and she, was, she wasn't necessarily put, bringing her point of view, but reporting on the, on the social changes that were occurring and and it's and again, it is in the world we live in today. It's very, very easy to look back and judge people based on today's perceptions. Which I hope I'm not sugarcoating well, any of this, am I? As Richard Rodriguez says, you know, it's her accuracy. She was a little too acute in terms of her listening to the language happening around her, and that this has uh, doomed her to a certain extent in terms of uh, contemporary 
audiences. So we we actually we have a disclaimer before the film because of some of the the ethnic slurs, the use of the N word, and it's not for every audience. It's not easy to read, but absolutely, we spent Mark and I spent a lot of time thinking about this and going over these issues, and because we think. Her fiction so directly addresses the challenges and the implications of this kind of language that uh, we thought it was important to keep it in. Well, and as Hilton Alls points out, Huck Finn. I mean, you know, you can go back in literature. So it's a debate worth having. Certainly, it's a, certainly a discussion that, you know, should and needs to be had. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to sort of frame all of it in a way that mm -hmm. it is. And Mike, we wanted, and we also wanted the film to be to take the the viewer on a journey yeah. uh, into her life. So, I mean, I think that we we're we're trying to 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 show the you know the contradictions in Flannery's thinking at a time when the world when her own world in the southern uh, uh, world was was changing. And so there was a, there's a real sense that we wanted to honor both those moments where she is saying, yes, you know, we have to make changes. So the, the, what's going on, uh, the, the changes in civil rights is good. And at the same time, her own maybe personal white privilege that's being kind of uh, bumped into and or, or her own sense of white racism, really, that uh, she has to kind of let go of. I think you see you see a, a, a the journey of a of a of an author trying to grapple with this. And she dies, you know, at the age of 39, right when race those four years, 1964, when race really becomes now even more uh, a part of our cultural discourse. But she dies right at that moment. So who knows what, would, what her life would be like today, what she would think today. One of the things I found interesting that she went back and forth between novels and short stories. And in some ways, she may be best known as a short story writer, which is unusual in the pantheon of people that we think of as great writers. It's, it's unusual that they're, they're thought of sometimes first as short story writers, and, and she, but she was so pithy and so so direct in her writing that it's it, it's it fits her her style. Is this a fair observation? Is she best better known as a short story writer or as a novelist? Well, I'm since I'm not the Flannery O'Connor scholar, I'll answer <laughs> first, and I certainly love and engage with the short stories first. However, since I'm a film person, can I say that John Huston's Wise Blood is an incredible film, and the film adaptation of her novel is, is incredible. And her novel, The Violent Bear It Away, is, is like nothing I've ever read before. So her novels are even more daunting to get through than the short stories. The short stories are just the right amount of length and challenge, I think, to read. In some ways, the novels take you even further. So I, I have now fully entered into the O'Connor, the O'Connor land. So, but I did start as, you know, a short story. It's about feature film length, <laughs> time-wise. Um, and she is just an expert at that length. Mark? I obviously I agree with Elizabeth. I think she will be remembered for her short stories uh, because they are the most compact, intense literary journeys that you can do. I mean, they're they're like diamonds. They're just jewels. These these she kind of raised this short story to a new form of what kind of power you can enact in almost every one of her short stories. In the novel, she's got more time, right? She's, and so the journey's a little bit slower. But I mean, when you read a short story, you're like. And this is, I think, what people like uh, Tommy Lee Jones and others said, you know, it's the drama. The, the, the drama is so kind of powerful. So I would say, yes, 
she's a great artist of novels and short stories. What will she be most remembered for? What will she be continue to talk about? Probably her short stories. They just, they speak to us uh, still to this day. For our audience who may not be as familiar with uh, Flannery O'Connor, her novels include A Good Man is Hard to Find, Wise Blood, some of the other ones that you would sort of, uh, for people who are interested in reading those. Some of her short stories, I'm, I, we can all do our top three or four, Elizabeth can follow, but you have to read, you have to read A Good Man is Hard to Find, Good Country People, the Revelation, um, Everything That Rises Must Converge, and I'd probably put in Parker's back because my students who I teach love that story in a way that now I'm loving it because they're teaching me how to understand the tattoo artist as a kind of emblematic of, of the human person today. So those are my top five short stories that I would say you have to read. Elizabeth? Yes, that, and Parker's back, we couldn't get in the film. I love that one as well too. And I think I mentioned she hated Gone with the Wind and wrote a short story called A Late Encounter with the Enemy. Uh, which I yeah. always recommend. And I, and I went, we went back to her, um, what she wrote for her MFA at Iowa. And I love some of these first stories, you know, even if they may not be considered as sophisticated from a writerly perspective, you know, she was writing at age 19 and 20 about uh, racial issues in, in New York and the South. I mean, she was trying to think and address the conflict uh, America's greatest sin, right? The, uh, the the Civil War and the South's inability to get over it yeah. from from day one as a writer. So that's, it is hard to pick the, just a few stories that you love. I love her, <laughs> all of her work. All of it. Well, I, I, and I'll just say that the film, again, is Flannery. And what I so appreciate about it is it's both her personal life, uh, where she came from, how she she got where she ended up, and also the work, it, it, it's a very nice blend of the two together, how they reflect one another and get to know her. And she seemed like a loving soul. She seemed to be someone who at her, at her core, she was uh, about trying to figure out the human condition and embrace it as best she could. So um, thank you. Thank you both so much for, for being here today. The film again is called Flannery and we've been talking with the co-directors of that film and that would be Elizabeth Kaufman and Mark Bosco. Thank you both for being here. Thanks so much, Mike, really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.